Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. For the next hour, my guests will share their journey of recovery from the effects of someone else's alcoholism on the family. So I'd like to welcome Anne onto the show. Hi, Anne. Oh, hi, Bill. Anne's a member of Alan Family Groups, and she's going to share her experience of how Alan has helped her cope with the effects of alcoholism. Uh, also, in this week's show uh, marks the start of the 3CR Radiothon, and this year we'll be including fundraising requests each week in June instead of just in a single show. We usually bring a few guests into the studio for the Radiothon, uh, but COVID-19 has put a stop to that. Uh, so this year, our guests will reflect on the impact radio has on bringing the fellowship to the attention of listeners and to the public. Uh, so, Anne, we usually sort of start by talking about, um, you know, growing up and family. So what was life like for you growing up from, from a young child and what sort of, what was your family like? Um, okay, so we, we were a um, working class family in Glasgow, um, Scotland. I had a very happy uh, very early childhood with um, parents who were very keen to get me started off in a in a good way and they had high hopes for um, my education as, as a way out of the working class etc um, but uh, alcoholism was in my family um, from the very beginning even though I wasn't aware of it who was the alcoholic oh, my father was an alcoholic okay yep so, um, and there were instances, my mum tells a story of instances when I was a baby where she, he would be holding me and she'd be frightened and they'd be fighting to, you know, for her to tell him to leave me alone, to protect me as a baby. So the, the, the problem of alcoholism was there um, before I was born. Um, but I had a happy, very early childhood um, and uh, fairly easy time at school until uh, I became aware of the alcoholism about uh, the age of 10. Um, and I was, um, when I'd be awoken uh, in nighttime by, by fights and, and hearing things that were shocking and frightening for me as, as a child that age. Um, and I made, I ca- came to the conclusion that um, my mum was in danger, that my father was um, um, the bad person in all of this. And um, my, my response was to get up. Uh, and help and and for me helping meant uh, defending my mother against my father Um, and that continued a a pattern where I felt that it was part of my job along with my mother to um, control my father and um, defend ourselves against him. So were you ever abusive towards your father? Uh, Yes I was so um, my you know as as a 12 year old my only uh, the only weapon I could use would, would be to abuse him while he was drunk um, by, by uh, accusing him of being an alcoholic, thinking that that was some 
shocking, disgraceful thing. Uh, and I was using that word to insult him. So I didn't actually understand that he was an alcoholic suffering from a disease. So did you have any siblings? Uh, yes, I had a younger sister, four years younger, and a baby brother, 10 years younger. Right. So how did your mum cope with the alcoholism? Uh, my mum coped uh, by trying to keep everything together. So she was uh, coping with a lot, um, supporting my dad while he was studying and looking after her uh, disabled mother who had had a stroke um, and with a new baby and uh, young, all of us being young children. Um, she coped by trying to hide the problem. So she didn't, she had a large family of siblings herself and she didn't uh, confide in any of them about it and um, she tried to shield us from it by you know, putting us to bed early, keeping us away from uh, parties and things. Uh, in Glasgow the culture was a very um, strongly, uh, a party culture very much around alcohol um, and she tried to shield us from that, didn't want us to see people drunk. Yeah, it must have been difficult. Very <laughs> impossible. <laughs> yeah. So how did things progress then? Um, it progressed uh, rapidly after my parents decided to emigrate from Scotland to Australia, which uh, the purpose of that was basically to run away from, from my mother's point of view, to run away from the problems that alcohol was causing. Um, and I think that was the motivation for my father too, and, and to sort of get ahead in life. Do a geographical. Uh, yeah, it's called, we call, in Al-Anon or in AE, that's called a, a search for a geographical cure. Um, so the misconception that if you move somewhere else, things will get better, that the problem's not in the, the person, yeah. people involved. Uh, so we didn't get a better life uh, immediately when we came to Australia. We had a much worse life. So we'd left all our, our house and our furniture, everything behind us and all the big family. And we came to Australia and um, were confronted by um, my father's unemployment, uh, very shaky mental health, um, hospitalizations for uh, physical and um, mental illness and a lot of uh, responsibility was uh, placed on my shoulders, I think, as the eldest child during that time. Okay. It must have been difficult. So what sort of things did you kids have to do to try and relieve the pressure? Um, I think um, it, the youngest child would have been um, oblivious to it. Um, my younger sister, uh, I actually don't even know what sort of pressure she was under at the time, but uh, as it, she was a child of about, you know, six to eight at the time when we came to Australia, she spent a lot of time, she was a very gregarious, uh, friendly person, spent a lot of time in other people's houses and um, out playing. And my mother encouraged that because I think it was, uh, it suited my mum to have at least one child not exposed to what was going on in the house. I coped too by um, having two lives. So I'd um, be coping with quite bizarre behaviour in the house with mental illness and alcoholism and, and you know, violent, emotionally abusive behaviour. 
And then I would uh, shut the front door, go out with my friends and um, be perfectly, seemingly happy and probably was happy uh, doing things uh, as a teenager, doing things with um, my friends like going to Luna Park or Tempin Bowling and just having fun. And they would have had no idea at all what was going on in my house. Yeah. So was school a bit of a refuge for you away from home? Uh, school was uh, definitely a refuge. So school was a place where I could go. I knew what the rules were. Um, I enjoyed it. I was interested in the things that were being taught. I had good friends. So school was a place where I could go and, and be happy. Yeah. And did you get on with your sister? I got on with my I uh, got Well, we fought very much when I was younger, but by the time I was at high school and she was at primary school, um, we were barely interacting. I'd say we were just two isolated people in the family. Yeah. It happens, doesn't it? And I understand your mum had some uh, health problems herself. Uh, yes, my mum had um, a health problem that was life-threatening and... Um, meant that she had to be hospitalised. Um, she made a full recovery from it, but um, at the time she was facing the prospect of leaving three children, um, the youngest of whom was four, leaving them with an uh, alcoholic person who wasn't coping at all. Right. Um, yes. Must so have been a difficult time. <laughs> It was a very difficult time, and at the same at the same time that my mother was hospitalised for the uh, physical problem, my father was hospitalised on and off for um, mental illness. So there was a time when they were both in hospital at the same time. Yeah, did did your mental health suffer? Uh, yes, it did. Um, I th I'm not sure what the direct causation was, but um, and I don't even know whether I was going to have these issues anyway, but I became um, fearful, very um, unconfident at school because I was dealing with the grief of migration um, and also the um, trauma of being an outsider and having to settle into a new school. I had a strong Glasgow accent I was in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, there was no, I didn't have any support for any of that. And none of that was discussed or because the alcoholic situation is so serious. And in, in my case, in this household, we had mental and physical illness. And I don't think that anyone had any time to say, how are you settling in at your new school? Or how, how is your grief for the country that you've just lost? So I think that's, very much part of the um, disease of alcoholism. It's a disease of isolation. And the alcoholic problems so all-consuming that other problems that people might be having um, become invisible. Yeah. So did you spend a lot of time on your own then? Uh, yes. I naturally am a fairly introverted person anyway, so I would um, retreat to books listening to the radio. I used to listen to the radio late at night, music and uh, friends. Yeah, but, but not any, the friendships were good friendships, but they were not, con I, I didn't confide in them or anything. So nobody knew what was really going on in my life. Yeah, okay. So was your mama any help? Could she, could she help you? 
no, she was not in a position to help me. My mum was dealing with uh, big problems. So she too was grieving for the loss of her home. Uh, as I say, she's facing a physical illness with the prospect of um, abandoning three children. She was dealing with a, um, a relationship which would often be abusive. Um, she was facing financial insecurity because jobs were lost and um, possibility of um, being unemployed, my father being unemployed. So she was completely overwhelmed by the same kind of problems that I had plus some other ones too. Yeah. So did she understand alcoholism was the problem? Not at all. No, we, we um, as I say, came from a culture where everyone was drinking, but um, she, like I did, and I feel like many people do, just assumed that the person who was drinking should be able to see that the drinking is destructive and they should just stop. Yes. <laughs> if they really uh, loved us, they would stop. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. person with a disability? If you are an Australian citizen, a permanent resident or a recently accepted refugee or humanitarian entrant under the age of 65, you are able to apply for access to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. If you have met access requirements, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, also known as the NDIS, will help you access the government-funded supports you need. To find out more, visit the NDIS website or go to your nearest NDIS partner office and ask for a language interpreter to help you. NIDA and NDIA are sponsors of this radio station. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then head to your preferred podcast platform or go online to 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Uh, today I'm talking with Anne um, and we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan family groups. Uh, so Anne, how did things start to change from that? Living in Sydney, you know, difficult, your dad having problems, your mum having problems. What happened next? Well, uh, we say that our uh, alcoholism is a progressive illness. Um, so untreated and unacknowledged, it just got worse and worse. Eventually, my dad became so physically and mentally incapacitated by it, well, mentally, physically and mentally ill, um, that he was unable to work. So we were facing um, financial insecurity as well as all the um, emotional trauma. Um, and my mother, in a doctor's waiting room, I think, was reading a women's magazine which mentioned a celebrity's um, battle with alcoholism and gave their number of Al-Anon. So did you contact Al-Anon? Uh, she immediately 
contacted Alan because she was at the end of her tether completely then um, and needed to, to find out how, how to proceed next. I think she was ready to leave the marriage. Uh, but we were in the 1970s and a woman um, who had been primarily a homemaker uh, was in no position financially to do that. She thought that Al-Anon would give advice about where to get practical help with um, the logistics of moving your family, you know, leaving your husband with your children. And what did she find? Uh, well, she went to her first Al-Anon meeting and was um, very confused because they didn't offer this at all. Uh, they said um, alcoholism is a disease. Uh, you can't, you didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it. The only thing you can do is work on yourself. She found this bewildering. I don't think she was even upset about it. Um, she just was bewildered by it. It seemed like a very odd idea. So did she continue with Eleanor? Uh, she did continue with Eleanor. Um, and uh, shortly after that, she met the spouses. It was mainly women in Eleanor in those days. Um, those women, that Eleanor meeting was in the same place as an AA meeting and often the spouses of the uh, AA members would be the members of the Al-Anon group. And so one of the, um, the, the AA members contacted my father, I think, or maybe my father contacted them because he too was at nearly at his rock bottom. Things were pretty bad. Um, and that man came and took my father to meetings. Okay. So did your dad get sober? My dad got sober. And only had he he um, didn't stay sober for all that long, but only we started drinking for a short time after that, and then I knew that that wasn't that wasn't a good idea, and went back to AA shortly afterwards. And uh, he was thirty seven then, and he's eighty this year, um, and he's been going to AA ever since. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> So what's it, what's it been like to have a sober dad then? Um, what has it been like to have a sober dad? Well, in the early years, it was uh, very painful to watch the, the terrible str uh, struggle that he had to go through as a sober person. Um, so basically, he, there was no alcohol, but he was still confronted. He, he's, he's the child of an alcoholic too yeah. um, and had a terrible childhood. Um, and he had to confront his own anxiety, his own depression. He had crippling depression, uh, his own like, fact that he'd lost his job, that all the study that he had done had seemingly come to nothing, um, that his family was suffering, etc. cetera. Um, but he, he was just in a very, very deep depression. And so I had to watch him struggle just to, to move off the chair some days. And, but then I, I watched him um, get better and better. Um, and now I would say my dad is one of the wisest people I know. Um, he's, not, he, he's not free of um, isms and, or, or problems and our relationship is not free of conflict, but he's 
managed to make a very good life for himself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what about your mum? Did she stay with Alan? Alan? Uh, she stayed with Alan on too, and she became an absolutely committed member of Al-Anon and credits it with um, everything good in her life since then. Um, and went on to do a lot of service work in Al-Anon um, and still she doesn't attend meetings anymore. She's 80 as well. Um, and But she practices principles of Al-Anon uh, by habit still every day. Yeah. So did she force you kids to go to Alateen? Uh, she took my younger siblings to Alateen. Um, she probably asked me if I wanted to go, but um, I would have said no. I don't really remember that, but I do remember thinking that I didn't need it, that I had problems, but that they could be, I'd be able to solve them on my own. Yeah. And I didn't relate them at all to Al-Anon, uh, to alcoholism. So there was another misconception that, that, that alcoholism hadn't caused me any problems and that it was fixed now because my dad went to AA. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yes. So did you benefit from your mum being an Alamon? Uh, I think so. I think what it would have done for me, uh, it came at a time that I was moving out of home, my early 20s. Um, and so it was, in a sense, it, I was detaching away from the family a bit physically in that way but um, I think it would have helped relieve me of the feeling that I had to be responsible for my mum so for both of them I felt that they I'd seen them both suffer and I felt relieved that now they were in a sort of a normal society where people a normal community where people were supporting them and helping them and that I didn't have to worry so much yeah so did you still were you still feeling anxious uh, so I went into my adult life riddled with anxiety, depression, low self-worth, I think especially low self-worth mm. um, and, and fearfulness, insecurity. Yeah. So how did you find uni? I found uni, um, you know, look, stimulating and enjoyable um, and a great privilege to go to. Um, but I found study difficult because I my concentration was poor and I think most of my mental energy was going into just trying to stay um, on top of daily living um, and in retrospect I think it would have been good if I had more energy to put into the demands of the uh, study yeah. so I, I was very much um, preoccupied with my own anxiety and depression and, and trying to feel better all the time yeah. Did you have problems with the relationships? Yes. I, uh, as soon as I started having a relationship with um, young men, I found myself um, hypervigilant, um, fearful of abandonment, inadequate, uh, prone to obsession about all of those things. So I found being in a relationship a very fearful place to be. Yeah. Okay. So did your mum try and get you into Al-Anon? Yeah, so my, I relied on my mum at that time for, for, um, as a sounding board, so I'd be on the phone to her um, complaining about the boyfriend or whatever, and uh, she gave me a piece of Al-Anon literature, a daily reader, and um, she said, read that and you'll get help. 
Um, I was very grateful for that. And I think for about two years, I read that every day and really, really studied it and um, thought that that would be enough for me to uh, get my life back on track or, or get a semblance of um, serenity in my life. Uh, but she didn't suggest I'll go to Al-Anon until it was obvious that I was really desperate for help. And so how did she convince you? Uh, she said idea? the thing that convinced me was that she said there was a group in South Yarra at the time, uh, which was adult children of alcoholic and that they were alcoholics and they were all young people. And that really appealed to me too, because I knew that the thing worked. I knew it was really good. I could see what it was doing for my mum and my dad and I could see the support they had around them. Um, but I couldn't envisage myself getting that support in an Al-Anon meeting with, with older women because I didn't actually think my problems were related to alcoholism. And so I, I thought if I went there, I'd have to pretend that they were related to alcoholism. But somehow I thought, well, maybe, and most of those people were spouses of alcoholics. So this, the idea of going to sit with people who were all children of alcoholics um, seemed appropriate to me and I was desperate for help. Yeah. What's it like to sort of understand alcoholism, the family disease, and your part in it? Uh, it's uh, very, very uh, liberating. <laughs> um, and it's actually, and, and it was quite startling. Um, my first meeting to, there was about, um, say, six to ten people in the, the room. Um, they were all young uh, employed, attractive, intelligent, some were wealthy people. Uh, and they were all talking about, um, they would say that they had grown up with an alcoholic in their family, but they were mostly the conversations I remember where they were talking about issues they were having at work or uh, just daily um, life, um, how, to, how to live day, and, uh, productively in a, uh, on a daily basis. Um, and so I saw straight away that this was exactly the sort of um, support that I needed to, to, I needed to get to where they seemed to be. Yeah. So did you develop sort of friendships with those people? Were you, was, was, uh, that, was it yeah. that sort of thing? Uh, it wasn't that sort of thing initially and there's absolutely no obligation that it be that sort of thing. And I didn't go there looking for friends. I had you know, friends at uni, etc. Um, but the nature of the, the program and the nature of the meetings is that you um, share your experience in a very um, honest and open way, only as much as you, you want to. Um, and that makes for um, very um, close understanding of other people and, and tolerance for them, you know, for, for compassion, because you really um, know these people. Um, and the people that I met at that meeting, which was probably nearly 40 years ago, maybe about 35 years ago, um, I still know today. So did that help you feel like you fitted in? You fitted in with somebody. Absolutely. So, so instead of having um, my home life and my friends, my, my life of friendships, and I've still got that, I've still got close friends who don't know that my father's an alcoholic because it's so in, entrenched in me to keep those two things separate. 
um, it's just even as I say this now that I, I realize that that's odd. Um, and it shows that there's still some kind of um, feeling of shame that's in me from um, my childhood. And there's also a little bit of loyalty that I, I don't want to be um, telling people anything that the, the, the person involved wouldn't tell them. But anyway, it, the thing is that I've still got that the idea that that part of my life separate from my friendship life. But the people in um, Al-Anon, um, I don't have to keep that part of my life separate. So I can be a whole person there. Yeah. So the realisation that you couldn't do it by yourself, did that help you? Uh, the realisation I couldn't do it by myself was the first uh, feeling of liberation that I got there. Um, the, the feeling I didn't have to do it by myself was um, a great relief. And I came out of my first meeting with a great deal of hope that I would get better and that I didn't, it wasn't all up to me to do it. Yeah, so that's that's sort of hope, isn't it? That that it, the change doesn't depend on me. I've got to, I've got to do stuff, but I'm not responsible for improving. Yeah, and that's so important for, um, I think for, an, uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I think for an adult child of an alcoholic, um, one of the legacies of that is a, a feeling of too much responsibility because a dysfunctional family places too much responsibility on children that should be the adult's responsibility. So having too much responsibility is a, a burden that adult children of alcoholics probably take through their life and to be able to drop that burden is very important step towards recovery. To make space, to make space for... Um, what's really important in life. Awesome. We might take another short break there. Mm-hmm. Throughout the month of June, 3CR is running a station appeal. We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it. But if you can, head to 3cr.org au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR Station Appeal. Exhibiting 300 artworks by 286 Indigenous artists currently in or recently released from prison in Victoria, Confined 11 serves as a strong visual metaphor for the over-representation of First Nations Australians in the criminal justice system. This year, The Torch presents the annual Confined exhibition online at thetorch.org.au. All artworks are for sale and 100% of the sale price goes directly to the artist. Help us paint a brighter future. Head to thetorch.org.au from May the 14th to explore Confined 11. A 3CR supporter. You could be anything of everything, but I most of all be yourself. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Anne about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan family groups. And one of the things at meetings or in the program is uh, higher power. So how did that manifest to you and how did that help you? 
Well, the other side of um, giving up responsibility is it's useful to have an idea of where that responsibility lies, if not with you. So Al-Anon suggests that you hand that responsibility over to a higher power. So I was an atheist um, and uh, still don't believe in a Christian God, whatever that is. But um, I found it very useful to have a concrete idea of what that higher power would be. So for me, that higher power was a meeting. So if I was having a problem during the week and I knew that I was going to a meeting, I think it was on a Thursday night, I knew that there would be some uh, way of telling the story of that problem and getting, I would probably get the answer in the meeting, not by someone giving me advice, but just by hearing the wisdom. And so that was my first idea of the higher power. And that has um, over the decades evolved, that idea. Um, and now I understand the higher power as everything in the world that is not me. And, and that includes, so, and that includes um, my own genetics and, and my own ancestors. And it's sort of just all, everything is the higher power and very little is up to me. So my, my job is to live this day that the, as well as I can and that's the whole scope of my power is contained within that day and everything outside of that scope is the higher power yeah good concept um, has it helped you be uh, more honest and uh, has it helped you in relationships uh, yes very much so so when I first came to Al-Anon it was to find a way of being in a relationship that wasn't painful so, um, as I said before, you know, being in a relationship with, was characterised by with me with uh, fear and anxiety and fear of abandonment and um, being hypervigilant. And what it did early on was tell me that a lot of the problems in relationships are not caused by the other person. They're coming from myself. So being hypervigilant with the other uh, over the other person isn't the place to put your energy. The energy should be directed to uh, what is it in me that's um, causing me to suffer in this relationship. That was a great liberation too. Um, and the way I understood it early on was it, it was the first time that I'd ever thought that the world wasn't divided up into victims and perpetrators, that um, it wasn't that I was a victim and I had to um, protect myself against people it was that I was causing my own suffering from the way I was perceiving things and I had to work on that and it also meant that I might be ca causing trouble for other people which I hadn't considered before and I was able then to perhaps apologize to the the person I was involved with at the time for something I had done and that was brand new to me because I really did think that if you were suffering it must be somebody else's fault yeah. <laughs> so did it help you with relationships? Could you manage relationships better? It helps me. What it helped me do, actually, I actually continued to find relationships very difficult and it did help me manage them better, but I did need a lot of help. I used to I had, I'd have to talk to my sponsor or I would um, you know, share at meetings to try and get clarity about it. Um, 
what it, the first thing it did was it helped me to leave a relationship that wasn't good for me because my uh, tendency was to stay in the relationship, especially after I got into Al-Anon and they said the problems might be partly in you. I then stayed in a relationship for too long because I thought that it was all me. I took it too far and thought, well, I have to deal with this. Uh, this is my lot in life. I have to deal with this. But in Al-Anon, I got the insight. I actually don't. If the relationship's too hard um, or not good for me, I can leave it. And I decided that that relationship at the time was not good for me and I had the courage to leave it. And so it helped me in that way. Right. So relationships now then? Um, relationships now are good. I'm in a very um, happy marriage relationships are still a problem I, I don't like conflict so I tend to avoid conflict um, this has led to me being not very assertive sometimes when I should have been or it would have been better for me to have been um, and that has also affected my parenting so I've tended to give my children a little bit too much rope sometimes uh, rather than um, having the courage to face the conflict with them if I was going to restrict them in some way. So that's an ongoing thing for me and I still um, have to learn that every day and I actually work on that quite consciously. I found in Alan on that different stages of life or different problems that come up mean that for a while you might be, you focus on something else that you would like to work on. Um, and for these last few months or for maybe for a year, I'm focusing on courage to speak up when I need to. Yeah, okay. What about work life? How did, how did alcoholism affect you in your work life and how did Al-Anon help? It affected me in my work life by um, the first thing that I did was cause me to make the mistake of staying in a job for too long that I wasn't suited for. Again, it was misapplication of an Al-Anon idea, the Al-Anon idea of acceptance. Um, so I'd landed in this job and I had very low self-worth and the job didn't suit me. And instead of leaving the job and looking for another one, I looked around the office, saw that other people were enjoying it. So concluding it must be me, not the job. And I tried to work on myself so that I could accept the job. Um, and it, I stayed in the job for three years too long looking back, um, but finally I did have the courage to leave it. What did you change to? Uh, then I got into a job which um, happened to suit me much more than I ever imagined. And I uh, thrived in that job and I really uh, loved the job. But I found myself unable to um, take any uh, lead, uh, promotional, promotional opportunities still through lack of uh, self-worth so I was able to um, do the basic job really well but when I was approached to um, take on other responsibilities I um, was too fearful and um, the fear was mainly around public speaking or even just being publicly noticed so I, I, to, to be clear I was a teacher so um, I was it was very easy for me to, to go into the classroom um, and be a very good teacher for those kids in that room. And I, I think a lot of my experience in Al-Anon gave me, a, some, uh, not an Al-Anon, 
uh, in my own upbringing gave me a lot of qualities that made me a good teacher, like I, I, empathy and compassion, etc. But um, <clears throat> it didn't give me the confidence to stand up amongst my peers and give my opinion or, or speak. And so I couldn't take on any jobs uh, that involved that sort of thing in a school. So did that continue on or did you change? I changed when I got treatment for uh, depression that had gone undiagnosed for a long time. When I got treatment for depression, I immediately um, lost my um, uh, fear, social anxiety and fear, and I was able to, um, I took on a leadership position in a school within a year and um, progressed quite quickly after that. And I was able to speak publicly. Al-Anon also helped me that there's the Al-Anon um, requires you to speak to a group or you don't have to, but if you want to speak, then you speak into a group. And that helped me realize that I could use my voice, be heard by other people and survive. Um, and um, that helped to some extent, but getting the treatment for the depression and getting rid of that problem um, freed me up to be able to uh, comfortably stand in front of people and speak. Right. I know that you left Al-Anon for a while. So what, what caused you to leave, leave Al-Anon? Um, I left Al-Anon because I got treatment for depression and felt um, I needed a break from putting all my efforts into myself. I associated that with being depressed and having to try and uh, put all my energy into trying to manage every day. And um, was busy with um, school-aged children of my own um, and uh, almost full-time job as a teacher. With my newfound confidence, I wanted to put all my effort into, um, well, all my personal growth. I wanted it to be around my career. And I put all the effort in there and thought I didn't really need Alan on anymore. So what caused you to come back? Uh, what caused me to come back was... Um, my relationship with my daughter, which had been uh, troubled for quite a long time. And um, I felt that I wasn't handling that well and I knew that the answer was in Eleanor. Okay. Um, so what's it like now? What's, <coughs> what's your life like now that you've been to Eleanor, left Eleanor, come back, and I think you're, you're doing a different job as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so how's life now? Uh, well, um, now I, I'm back in Al-Anon and I'm, I'm very grateful to have that back again. Um, when I first came into Al-Anon and when I was uh, battling uh, the depression, it was a, a real lifeline and, in fact, gave me a lot of um, relief from depression and even remission, I'd say, from depression. The support that I had in Al-Anon and the regular meetings that I could go to. Um, now it's, um, I go to a meeting once a week as part of my, um, my routine and my spiritual practice and my, just to help me on my journey in life. So do you still suffer anxiety? I suffer anxiety uh, periodically, but not in a pathological way, I don't think. So I suffer the normal anxiety that comes with um, having children, having adult children going out into the world um, by having conflict with people, inevitable, normal conflict. Um, 
or you know any anxieties that people might face around health or health of um, family members, aging family members, etc. So, Al-Anon um, completely helps me with those ongoing daily problems. So, uh, the twelfth step of AA and Al-Anon talks about practicing the principles in all of our affairs. So, the longer you come to Al-Anon, the less you're even thinking about an alcoholic and the more you're thinking about how to practice the principles of the program in all of your affairs. Yeah. So do you have a spiritual practice? Uh, yes. I, um, I have a, a morning routine of um, planning my day to uh, make sure that I'm firmly oriented just in the day because that's a central part of the Al-Anon program that you live one day at a time um, and I'm very clear about why that's the best way to live because um, that's as far as your power extends it's it's um, that's what we can cope with you know at 12 hours or whatever it is um, so I make it my business to write down what I'm going to do for that day to make that the best possible day that I can live uh, now that might involve dealing with an anxiety thing for that day or resolving a conflict or it might involve um, gardening, going for a walk, cooking something, catching up with friends, shopping, whatever. So I, I just write down what um, I'll be doing in that day and then I read my, I read uh, three pieces of Almanon literature and I reflect on that and I often write a poem about that because my hobby is writing. And I get in, I start the day then very, very clear about being in that day and leaving everything else in the hands of the higher power. And I go to an hour on meeting once a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I find is that it's very easy to slip back into thoughts, you know, living with alcoholism thoughts, the way we think, you know, mm -hmm. is from a child. So do you still have problems, you know, with the way you think? Yep. Um, so I'm convinced, um, well, my thought patterns aren't exactly as they were at the, say, the lowest point of my um, adolescence, say, or my early adulthood. Um, but if anything, if it's a, a new problem that I haven't faced before or a particularly big problem or something, I naturally go back into the default way of thinking. Um, and the default way of thinking is usually something like... Um, uh, someone else is to blame or I'm not good enough to deal with this or this is all my fault or this is my problem to solve or it would be a good idea to lie awake at three o'clock and try and figure this out these are these are bad habits yeah. <laughs> um, and and these are habits that um, they're my default habits so um, Al-Anon is the, the better way of doing it and so I need to keep practicing the principles of Al-Anon. So it's a practice. It's not just um, you go to a meeting once a week and, and then everything's fine. You, I, you really, I really do try and practice the principles in everything I do. Yeah. Okay, thank you. If anybody's interested, you can contact Al-Anon Family Groups by phone on 1300 252 or you can go online at alanon.org.au. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Anne for joining me and sharing her Alan and Family Group's recovery experience with us. Thanks, Bill.
I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from gambling addiction and we'll be joined by John, who's a member of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, thanks for listening to Living Free program today and stay tuned now for another great show on 3CR. COVID-19, no radiophone. You thought you were left off the hook. Sorry, we need money to survive and you need a legal legitimate tax deduction before the end of the year. So we're having a June Solidarity Station appeal so we can remain independent, community-owned and, believe it or not, radical during COVID-19. This is a great way to do what the rich and powerful do, support the charities that you like, like 3CR, and get a legal legitimate tax deduction. If they can do it, you can do it. You can do it in a number of ways. You can go to the website, 3cr.org.au, follow the prompts. And for the dinosaurs out there like me, you can always send a cheque made out to 3CR to Post Office Box 1277. That's Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. And before you know it, you'll get your legal legitimate tax deduction. And remember all that COVID-19 extra money you've got for JobSeeker? Well, now that you live in the lap of luxury, maybe you'd like to put some into 3CR's pocket and you can feel really good about keeping 3CR on air. And also, put down your favourite program when you donate.